Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And welcome to our live Texans Cardinals postgame show. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani, who is out at NRG Stadium covering the Texans. And Sean wasn't pretty today, but in the NFL, it can be like the NCAA tournament a little bit. Some Sundays, you just try to survive and advance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was uh, pretty uncharacteristic, too, today for what the Texans have done over the course of the last couple of weeks. They've found uh, multiple ways to win football games, and you, you can't really say any of them have really been pretty um, in much respect. I mean, you all like how the games have ended the course of, over the course of the last couple of weekends with game-winning drives in the fourth quarter, but for the defense to be able to step up today – um, and really put the stranglehold on the Cardinals and Kyler Murray in that offense. I mean, that was that was one of the more impressive showings defensively that I can even think of, not just with this Texans team, but, you know, we watch a lot of football. I mean, you talk about three consecutive fourth down stops in the fourth quarter. Um, that's big-time stuff. That's big-time stuff, and – you talk about complimentary football. We all have an idea of what that means. Um, we have this perfect definition of it. Man, the Texans again today showed there's multiple variations of complimentary football. Sometimes uh, the offense isn't pretty. Sometimes it looks ugly. Sometimes it's turnover ridden like it was today with C.J. Stroud and the three interceptions. But the defense, man, it was just Blake Cashman, Christian Harris, Derek Stingley. Uh, Christian Harris was huge, by the way. My gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it, was yeah. Just, it was a fantastic game in complimentary win in that sense. And I thought um, that's what good football teams do, right? I mean, that's a mark of a good football team is finding different ways to win. And today um, it was it was really cool to see the defense step up and get that done. Joe Mendez says Coach Ryan – Ryan's the Houston redemption. So I don't know what that, I don't know what he's redeeming himself with, but anyway, let's keep going. Cause we need you guys to get in the comments and Sean, who would have guessed we're 10 games into the season, just 10 games into the season, the Texans, they've already beat their over under win total 10 games into the season. And they will be playing for first place in the AFC South in game 11 pretty cool <laughs> i you beat me to the standings i haven't had a chance to look at it yet but hey six and four um it's it's funny because i go back to the show that we did like a month ago and uh, i don't know what point we were at but yet we we decided to go uh through the rest of the schedule and pick wins or losses and some way or another i damn near got to 11 wins <laughs> you remember that and oh, yeah. I, I think i got to the final game of the season i'm like damn, I can't do that. <laughs> it's too early for that. Like, let me, I gotta, I gotta settle on 10. They're going to lose one of these damn games. Um, and it's funny the way that things have kind of transpired over the course of the last month or so, since we did that show, I said it then, like they're going to end up winning games that they seemingly have no business winning on paper going into the said game, the week leading up to hell, they were a touchdown underdog going into Cincinnati is they should have been. 
Um, and, and so that's one of those games that you say, hey, you know what, at the end of the year, regardless of what the Bengals were looking like, what they were doing, hell, they were one of the hottest teams in the league, and you went in their house and you beat their ass. Um, that's huge. That was a game that they won that they shouldn't have won. At the end of the season, maybe you look back and you say, you know what, that's a game that Vegas totally got wrong, making them touchdown dogs on the road, maybe throw a little respect their way. The thing is, there ain't no, there's, there's no uh, history that you can base anything that this Texans team is doing off of. Nothing happened that happened last year, the year before, the year before that is relatable to this team. It's almost entirely new. Um, so you have 11 weeks of knowledge and precedent to base things off of the Texans now going forward. And what you have to do is give them the utmost respect in that it's a football team that has found multiple ways to win football games, whether it be at, at home or on the road. They're now four and one at home. They're taking care of business at home and they're beating teams. They probably shouldn't on the road. That's huge. I can't believe you're, you just said what you said. They're playing for first place within the AFC South. Um, it's it's pretty damn incredible. Yeah, Jacksonville won. They're up a game. But obviously, if they win, they'd have the tiebreaker. They'd beat Jacksonville both times. So that would technically give them first place. Tiff, Tiff said he's kind of half glass half empty guy. He's worried about CJ having a concussion. He said the offense couldn't score anything after the half. Yeah, yeah, that's all stuff to worry about. But guess what? They won the game, and we'll see how CJ's doing. Obviously, if they were worried about a concussion, I would assume they would have put him in the tent and checked it out after he got the hit. We're going to talk about the hit later. As usual, Sean, Vegas knows what they're doing. The Texans, favored by five, they win by five. I, You know, every time I think, well, Vegas doesn't know anything, and it's like, hey, Vegas knew that we, we were going to have a missed two-point conversion, some field goal. You know, it's that's just nuts that they landed right on the five points. That, that number was kind of fluctuating uh, from – Last weekend's victory over the Bengals, I think the Texans immediately open at like six-point favorites, uh, maybe six and a half. And then uh, maybe by Monday morning or Tuesday morning, that number had dipped to like five and a half or five. And I think at one point on Friday, it went back up to six. Um, look, I, I, I look at that stuff just because I want to see what money's doing and how it's kind of related to the injury reports throughout the course of a week. I'm just kind of always interested in that type of stuff but hey every once in a while yeah vegas hits the nail on the head every once in a while you know uh the rest of us do too <laughs> uh, i think yeah. a lot of people were, were were fearful of this game though like looking at it like a trap game we talked about it during the course of a week and um sometimes i think those conversations are stupid but relative to this game i didn't think it was i i just thought like this game based upon you know, what we've kind of come to be excited about with this Texans team was maybe the most feared game of the season to date. To hell with the Ravens game week one, to hell with the Colts game week two, never mind the Steelers or the Jags. I mean, now that you know what this team is capable of and like, hey, there's an opportunity for not just a winning record here, uh, but you're talking about a possible division winner and maybe a team to make some noise in the playoffs. You're thinking that far ahead. And so the last thing you want I, is to lose a game like this at home. Yeah, I don't because it's the NFL. And, you know, every week it's yeah. going to be like this. This is what the NFL is. By the way, Battle Red, you know, I got the Battle Red cap on as usual, but uh, I can get you a little Battle Red glasses here. So 
Uh, oh, see John Lennon all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> CJ uh, with a wild game, 27 for 37, 336 yards, two touchdowns, three picks, more picks today than he had thrown in the entire season combined. Yep. Singletary, 22 carries, 112 yards, a touchdown. The running game is back after these two games, I guess. We'll talk about that. Tank Dell, eight catches, 149 yards, one touchdown. Like we do every week, we're going to unpack it possession by possession. And uh, as usual, get in the comments. I'll, I'll bring that up again. If you're just joining us, Cards first possession. It's Stingley and Jalen Petrie getting beat on a long touchdown for the second straight week. 49-yard touchdown, Rondell Moore. Sean, that's the third straight week. Jalen Petrie's gotten beat over the top as the deep safety on a huge pass play. Yeah, and you know the thing about the thing about that play is, uh, and there were there were a few of them today where I just noticed Jalen Petrie. I don't know that. I don't know that what's happening in front of him are things that he's expecting. I, he looks kind of surprised at times out there, which kind of concerns me for a guy that, um, you know, he's talked about so much just over two years of him being in the league, how much film he studies, how much he prepares. And um, he's just trying to constantly stay ahead. I feel like he's a guy at this point in time that looks surprised. And because I, I don't question his athletic ability. I don't question uh, really anything with his game. It's man. Is he just trying to do a little too much, maybe be a little too cute, anticipate a little too much. I don't know. And to me, that stood out a few times today. And that play that you're pointing out was one of them. Yeah, there's a play I'm going to mention later that, again, on Petrie. There's going to be a lot more on Petrie for me as, as we go along. Texans first possession, fourth and two at the 13. They go for it. Sean hated this play. Pitch to Mike Boone. Come on, man. Pitch to Mike Boone. Look. Bobby Slowick just said his worst call of the season was that interception last week. Man, that's the second worst call of the season. I didn't get that at all. Uh, well, I mean, you know, he, I feel like he's done that a couple of times. The Texans have done that a few times this year. Um, you know, whether it be fourth downs or, or third and shorts like that. To me, you want to give, like, an element. There has to be some sort of element of surprise. Like, if you're going to run it, um, and you're not going to read anything on a third and short or a fourth and short, you have to at least give the illusion that you are. I, I need to see play action in those instances. Um, I need to see a stretch play or something like that. Just not, hey, we're about to run this thing, boom, toss, boom, straight handoff, whatever it is. I but just putting it in like your that. third string running back's hands makes no sense well, on a you know, fourth and two. We, we know what Mike Boone's capable of. Like, I don't have no problem giving him the ball. It's just how he got the ball. Like, you have to make that linebacker and a defensive line think for that millisecond and because you're trying to hit the edge and you're trying to get that yard or two or three yards, whatever it is. And when but a defense if, can put its toes in the ground and just freaking tee off on your ass, like, that's a problem. It's not well, going to be a, It's a pitch play. That you're basically a pitch play starts you like way behind the line of scrimmage when you're deep into the other team. I mean, the exactly. safeties aren't back. Everybody's going to be crowded no matter what on a fourth sure. and two at that point. I just, anyway. That's what I'm saying. You allow them to tee off. You, you, if you're going to run it, 
if you're going to do something like that, you've got to give the illusion that there's going to be, uh, you got to show play action in my mind. It's just as simple as that. There's a million different ways to do it. Yeah, Bobby, he's got to be better than that. I got another gripe with him later on. Uh, Texans D forces a three and out back on offense. Stroud to tank for 20 yards on the first play of the drive. Later in the drive, big play at the 20-yard line on third and six. Sean, CJ throws a perfect pass between two defenders to Schultz. He makes a nice slip and slide catch into the end zone. That was classic CJ and, and Dalton Schultz, who's just been extraordinary in the last few weeks. I thought that was going to be short. I thought it was going to be down at the one-yard line because I thought, sure, surely the guy, whoever that dude was that skipped over him, why he skipped over him, I don't, I don't know why. But I thought for sure, like his foot, a shoelace, hit Schultz as he was sliding into the end zone. Uh, and then, you know, obviously everybody saw it in slow motion. That wasn't the case. I was, I, that was, that was a, a great pass, great catch, great play all around. I was just impressed that it went for six in that instance. Yeah, definitely. So the cards, uh, next possession we go to, cards drive into field goal range. But on third and 11, Will Anderson shows what the Cardinals miss by not drafting him. Anderson fights through not one, not two, three blockers, Sean, to get his third sack of the season, forcing a field goal right there. Yeah, but his first legitimate sack since week one, you know, he got lucky on one, whatever he got over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think it was the Buccaneers game where dude tripped and he touched him. You know, cool. Uh, it's good for the stat book. But uh, that was – this honestly felt to me like a game that Will and – it could have been a big, big game for Will Anderson. To me, he was like the perfect elixir to combat Kyler Murray and his elusiveness. You had to be able to match athleticism with athleticism, like supreme athleticism. And, you know, granted, the Texans did some things differently. They were able to really collapse the pocket corner Murray in more in the second half than the first half because he got loose on some, obviously, in the first. I thought it could have been a really big game for Anderson. He missed just so close a few more of those plays, like TFLs and getting to the quarterback a couple of more times in this game, but that was huge. I was really excited and happy for Anderson. Yeah, you just hope the near misses by year two and three starts getting to the guy. And so the Texans' next possession, big play on second 20. Newly activated Steven Sims picks up a first down after what looked like a drive-killing sack. So Sean Devin Singletary finishes it off. We talked about another big day for him, 11-yard touchdown. Also want to mention in that one, Great blocking, Brevin Jordan with a great yeah. seal. Great blocking all the way around, really, by the O-line there. Yeah, uh, I can't remember if that was the same one, too. Andrew Beck might have been in on as well. Uh, it was one of those plays that I thought he threw a really good uh, block, blocking somebody out, uh, opening a cutback lane up uh, during that series. What I thought was impressive, you know, to this point in the game is that every time the Texans had come up, and they only had one third down in that possession, but every time a third down had come up, they'd spread the ball around earlier in the season. You remember who Mr. Third down first down conversion was, it was Robert Woods. Right. And right. you know, it's obviously turned into Nico Collins as well. The, both of those guys are one and two inside the top 15, top 20 in terms of third down conversions for firsts in the league today. It was Woods. It was Dell. It was Collins. It was Schultz Stroud hit each and every one of those guys for a first down on a third down on every single drive in the first half of the Texans. I thought that was really impressive. And I think 
credit to Bobby Slowick, credit to the receivers, Stroud, the offense all around, but just not being afraid to spread the ball around. I mean, the Texans have kind of been forced into it over the course of the last month, playing with some combination of without having Woods at your disposal, Collins at your disposal, Tank Dell at one point in time not being there. Stroud's had to trust different receivers. Uh, Noah Brown the last couple of weeks who was out today, somebody else stepped up today, and today it was Tank Dell and Nico Collins who made some tremendous plays. But I think you got to give the offense in general a lot of credit for just being able to spread the ball around and have the success on third downs. Texans were fantastic on third down today. Yeah, we have a comment from Beyond Sheet that says Robert Woods ain't the answer. I don't, I don't know what you mean. I mean, he's been solid all year. We're going to get to a play later that didn't go so well for Woods, but uh, you know, he's at this point he's your third or fourth receiver. So I mean, I'm not like sweating over third and fourth receivers. Uh, next up, Singletary. Just a reminder before we get to the next uh, drive, he he had run for 84 yards in the first half. So not just that touchdown. I mean, he was. Yeah. Again, really good early in this game. So let's move to the first play of the Cards' next drive. Kyler slightly underthrows his man going deep. Derek Stingley grabs his first INT of the season. Sean, I'm going to let you gush on Stingley, but I'm going to pick on Petrie again. He was his usual 10 yards behind that play, but he, he did a good job celebrating afterwards, I guess. So that's that's the positive for Petrie. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't remember what Petrie did or didn't do on that play. All of my eyes... Uh, were on Derek Stingley in that instance. And I thought, yeah, it was, it was uh, either an underthrown ball or just simply on the wrong shoulder. He threw it to the left shoulder, which was which gave Stingley a better opportunity to get that cleanly. If he puts that ball inside towards the hash, you know, on the receiver's right shoulder, that might be a play that, you know, they're talking about as being a game-changing play, you know, for them in that instance. But I thought it was a really – uh, awesome play by Derek Stingley. Good coverage. You know, was able to pick it, not interfere, get that ball cleanly. I, I, I thought, um, you know, at, even at the time, and it was still early, an entire half left to be played in this game. Um, hell, it was early in the second quarter. I, I already thought it was the best game that I'd seen Derek Stingley play as a Houston Texan. After the interception, big pass plays to Mechie, Tank, and Nico set the Texans up, but Stroud, a rare mistake, Sean, the throw to Nico in the end zones into double coverage interception. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember if that was like a linebacker or if that was a safety that had that was underneath that ended up picking that ball off. Like I saw the replay multiple times and I'd, I still don't know what C.J. Stroud thought he saw and why he didn't see that defender there. Maybe it was a ball that, you know, he didn't get enough air on. Maybe he flat out saw that defender and just thought, you know what, I can sail this over, you know, that guy's uh, hands and head and put it only where Nico could get it. Um, Obviously it wasn't enough, but um, that was, that was one of those interceptions where it was like, okay, if, if, if I'm in a, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. You'd certainly seen a lot worse from, you know, a lot of other quarterbacks. Um, the interception that he had last week was, you know, <laughs> how many times you see that where it's like, no, 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 no. And it's jumped. Uh, that wasn't one of them. I mean, to me, the one in the end zone to Collins right there, you're trying to give a guy a shot, whether you see him or not. That is really the question. And, and I, I hadn't heard Stroud's uh, press conference today. Maybe you have to wait till Wednesday before he's even actually asked about it. Yeah, I mean, there were three guys in the area, three guys around Nico in total. I looked a couple other guys in the pattern. 
that were running towards the end zone, you know, they were end zone throws, they were in single coverage, but yeah. I, you know, I don't know what exactly he thought was going to happen and how that play was going to unravel. So let's go to the Texans defense, which ends a short possession thanks to a Blake Cashman sack and boy, what a day by Blake Cashman, <laughs> 19 tackles, 14 solo, two quarterback hits, a tackle for loss and that sack. So uh, we can get into Cashman later, but just an incredible day. So now there's a little over two minutes on the clock, which seems to be Stroud time, either in the first half, second, doesn't matter. You get two minutes, it's Stroud time. Another great two-minute drive. Sean, what we saw next was unreal. Stroud to Dell, 40-yard touchdown. Is that the most amazing throw and catch of the season? Like you combine throw, catch, the whole thing for C.J. Stroud, tank, the whole deal? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And, you know, for maybe a couple of different reasons. One, uh, you know, the pocket broke down. CJ tried to elude, you know, go to his right. Uh, defender gets loose, throws it with the guy in his face and arms up. I don't know how close he actually came to getting, you know, a fingernail on that ball, but it was close, which made the throw itself impressive. But when Tank Dell sees that the play is broken down, he, he didn't stop. He didn't come back towards the ball. He looked like a freaking squirrel and just darted towards the end zone. And, you know, Stroud in around the same moment in time, you know, pointed, you know, to Tank like, hey, go. I think Tank probably took it upon himself to do it before Stroud even points, which just tells you everything you need to know. It's further confirmation of, you know, the chemistry, the comfortability that these two guys have with one another whether it's in a designed play or a broken play, they're just in lockstep. And for those reasons, I think it was probably the most impressive play of the year so far uh, with Stroud throwing the ball to anybody. Yeah, Kobe asked, um, why isn't Mechie a bigger factor in the offense? And I guess we just answered the question. His name's Tank Dell. And Mechie actually had a catch for 12 yards. And Mechie's out there some. It's just... I mean, there's only so many catches to go around, and, and obviously Tank Dell is, is the slot guy. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's any I mean, I, about- I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people thought, you know, with um, the Texans, again, being without a receiver, you know, a guy that had been the best in the NFL the last couple of weeks, the most productive anyway, and Noah Brown not being available for the Texans. Like, hey, maybe it's an Xavier Hutchinson day. Hey, maybe it's a John Mechie day. Uh, who knows? Because that's what Bobby Slowick has kind of shown the propensity to do is when they're down a guy and you think, oh, woe is me, he's able to dial something up and get somebody else involved. Today, it just happened to be Tank Dell. You got to keep in mind, too, it's, it's not just about what the Texans have at their disposal. Like, we know that this point in time, this receiver core within this offense was severely underrated. Okay, and shame on all of us. Uh, You know, hey, I don't expect anybody to be able to see the forest through the trees when you have so much new coming in to an organization and you don't know anything about a damn offense. Okay, Um, so all that's fair. It's just matchup to matchup. What Tank Dell, Robert Woods, Nico Collins, maybe their game and what they possess versus this particular defense and the opposition, the players running it, far exceeded what they've, the Texans feel like I think John Mechie could contribute 
Um, so he he's kind of like Xavier Hutchinson, been uh, I don't want to say a gadget guy because it hadn't been like weird jet sweeps or you know these uh, wildcat packages or anything for him. But they've he's picked picked and chosen wisely like opportunities few and far between to use those guys, and I think it's a, still a question of comfortability. I mean, Nick Casario said it before the season himself. John Mechie looked like in training camp. And in the preseason, a guy that hadn't played football in eight months. Just think about that. Let that sink in. And we're through 11 weeks of an NFL season. The guy's playing catch-up. At some point in time, I think we know enough and have seen enough flashes from John Mechie that, you know what, this guy at some point when he's ready and comfortable in this offense could be a contributor, a regular. It wasn't, it wasn't just really eight. I mean, he had the he had the knee injury. He had the injury to end his college career, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. he had that injury. And then he, then he had cancer. So yep. he missed basically close to a year and a half in total or a year and a few months at least. And, I mean, look, he's a rookie. I mean, you just – you you get well, – well, Tank Dell, C.J. Stroud, they're all supposed to come in and light the place on fire. Dude, he's a rookie. So we'll see what happens next yep. year. And, and Robert Woods might not be around, so there might be, you know, less guys' competition for him to get on the field. We'll see. But, um, anyway, no punts for the Texans in the first half. If it wasn't for the bad fourth down call in the INT, they could have easily been up 17, even if it was just two field goals that they got. So let's move to the second half. Texans' first possession of the third. Scary moment. Stroud hit hard on his sack, straight in the chest. Everybody held their breath, the whole stadium. Sean, me, uh, Grandma Stroud, everybody was holding their breath on that one. But after missing just one play, Sean Stroud converts a third and 17 to tank on a dime to the sideline, which honestly was as impressive as anything he's done this year. <laughs> I don't know. That, well, that's funny. You know, we just got done talking about it. And I said, you know, maybe the most impressive play, you know, for a couple of different reasons. One, Dell's ability to recognize a play breaking down and heading towards the end zone. Stroud uh, able to extend the play, uh, heads up, you know, throw an absolute rocket a missile to Dell for 40 yards in the end zone. That was maybe the best play that I'd seen all season. This was maybe number two, just because that was a freaking rocket down the sideline. What did it go for? Like 18, 19, 20 yards, whatever it was to Dell in that instance, like first play coming back from having your bell rung, uh, extend a play, it's broken down, and you just throw a missile, hit the guy right in the chest. I mean, that was it was fantastic. It was one of the better throws that you'll see. It's It's getting tough now to keep track, you know, we're, what, three, four weeks removed from watching C.J. Stroud thread the needle between two defenders and find, I think it was Nico Collins or Dalton Schultz in the end zone on the road for a touchdown. Um, we all remember that one. I mean, it was just closing. It was like Indiana Jones, you know, just the walls closing in, and he's able to just sneak through real quick. He's done this every week multiple times. It's hard to keep track. Yeah, I'm trained as a Texan fan when it's third and seventeen. That's about the time for me to go to the bathroom because I know they're not going to get it and they're going to punt and every, you know. But with CJ Stroud, it's a different story. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, the drive stalls. Amendola misses a 48 yard field goal. You know, if you watched this last week, I said it Amendola, terrible beyond 40 yards. He is now three for 11 in his NFL career if it's 40 or more. Sean, are we sure there isn't a better kicker out there? I mean, I at least want them to have a. A little bit of a, you know, let's keep bringing guys in at this point. 
I don't know. The guy just kicked the game winner last weekend for you. I, I don't think they're yeah, going to do a, that. I mean, it's, that's but, fine, but it's a 38-yard field, and he barely made it. You know, I don't I, I, I can't get, get it. Ex- I, I mean, get it. it. It's good that he made it, and I'm excited and whatever, but, yeah, I just – I don't know. Anyway, Cards next possession, long drive, fourth and goal from the one. Kyler runs it in for the touchdown. And I got to go back to our guy, Petrie, Sean. He was unblocked and looking right at Kyler, five yards behind the line of scrimmage. But he dove at him from two yards away and fell down. You've got to stay on your feet. Keep in front of your guy until you get some help right there. This is Petrie's career to me in a nutshell. He tries too hard to make the spectacular play or hit. In the end, it doesn't matter if you're always making the spectacular play, but only, you know, 10% of the time you're, you're, you're getting it done. Like you're making that big hit tackle or whatever, like wrap up, you know, keep a guy in front of you, just do the basics, especially on a play like that. Yeah. Um, I know if I was to ask and I'd have to figure out how to, you know, ask the question about form tackling is that I'd, I'd piss a lot of guys off in that locker room. I don't know if you saw it earlier in the week, but Jonathan Grenard got on some Twitter folks about, uh, you know, tackling form and stuff like that. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's talked about it, uh, I think, on Texan radio this week about dropping the hip and, um, you know, just form tackling and how the games evolves and what players are trying to do now. And there's there's a thought in an NFL locker room. There's a reason why you see this happen all the time. And it's not about the da 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 There's a whole other reason why. And it, to me, it just sounds stupid. Like fundamentals for a team, for players and coaches on this Texans team that talks so much about going back to the fundamentals. I mean, it is something that you learn a long ago when you first start playing football, whether it be peewee football, middle, middle school football, whatever the case may be. I mean, just play with your head up, sink your hips, grab cloth, and you put your helmet right across somebody's chest or in that chest, period. You can't hit what you don't see. And too often, Jalen Petrie does what he did today multiple times, and that is dive with his head down to the ground. You can't see who you're trying to tackle. I would say maybe he needs to go watch Tavier Thomas tackle tape, but Thomas is guilty of it at times too. But I would still say one of the more fundamentally sound tacklers on this team is probably Tavier Thomas. Maybe he needs to go look at DHC, DeAndre Houston Carson, who I think is a really good tackler too. Um, there's a few of these guys on this Texans defense that do have those fundamentals. Why Jalen Petrie just doesn't subscribe to that, I don't know. But they're very simplistic plays that need to be made that aren't for him. Yeah, you're talking about wrapping up. This wasn't a play about not just wrapping Not up. Just, just wrapping up. No, you didn't hear me at all. I said sink your hips, drive your helmet through a dude's chest. That's first and foremost. And, yeah, wrap up. That's always important, too. Well, yeah, I'm just saying on this particular play, like, yeah, I agree with the whole thing. And that's also, again, that's also what you're saying. It's also Jalen Petrie has a number of issues. and But to me, it's the mentality with him. It's the idea that I'm going to try to make the big 100% play. It's like when you get three yards in the backfield, don't try to hit the guy as hard as you can and not wrap up. Or when you're three yards into the backfield and it's fourth down and you're at the goal line, you can't just dive at a guy two yeah. yards short yeah. and, and miss him. And it wasn't – this wasn't even – I don't even know if he 
was within a couple of yards when he dove at him. It's like, no, your job there is to just you keep him and you're like getting a loss on that play is not the thing. It, and it's Kyler Murray. You know, it's not just any quarterback. It's Kyler Murray. You got to yeah. make sure that guy stays in front of you because exactly. you know who he is. His name is Kyler Murray. Because Look at it's him. that guy, Look. you can't sell out. You can't sell out. You have to break down, and you just have to make sure you get hands on that guy. You can't sell out for the big play. And, and, and Cash, hopefully and again, that, he knows it. <laughs> even with all that, Cashman almost still chased him down from behind, which was would have been an incredible play. Cashman was still like – and if he had just held him up for like a second, Cashman would have been there. But anyway, cards go for a two-point conversion. Christian Harris, we, again, we're coming back to Christian Harris. But right here, he makes the stop at the one. There is more Christian yeah. Harris to come. We are not uh, going to ignore that. Texans' next possession, though, turns bad when Stroud falls down in the backfield on first down, losing 10 yards. Just a weird play. It's three and out. Cards drive into field goal range. But on fourth and three, they go for it. Stingley. And Tavier Thomas stuffed the receiver short of the first down. And frankly, Sean, I was surprised the cards went for it right there. I mean, that, their kicker is good, and they're they're within, what, five points at that point? Yes. I mean, it was a 21-16 to 16 ball game. Um, I, I, was, I was a little surprised, you know, out of all of the times that they'd went for it on fourth down today. I think that was the fourth. Uh, that was one of the four. Um, you know, chances that they had at it today. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised because there was so much time left in the game. Uh, and you'd think, too, at that point in time, you know, you'd already turned C.J. Stroud over once. You'd have a little bit of confidence in your defense to where, you know, maybe you could do it again, get a stop. And, of course, they'd trust Kyler Murray with the ball in his hands with that much time left. Um, but, hey, they didn't. And that's really where it started on that possession. You know, Christian Harris – uh, for the second straight possession, uh, and, and the Texans just affecting the game. Uh, I, I looked at the stat sheet at the end, and I was like, how the hell did Christian Harris only have five tackles? I mean, I felt like he'd have been up there with <laughs> Blake Cashman today who finished with 19 tackles on the game and just filled up the stat sheet. Uh, but that's how important Christian Harris was, you know, towards the end of this ball game, and it really started there on that possession. Yeah, not just uh... – making plays, but the reason why you didn't see more of Harris because it seemed like all of his plays were impact plays. And by the way, yeah. you're hearing noise behind Sean. He is at NRG Stadium. I'm sure there is some loud noise coming from the field or something like that. He's up yeah. in the booth, just so everybody <laughs> knows about that. Texans next possession, three and out, because on third and one, Bobby Slowick makes another call, which I hated. It's the terrible Andrew Beck fullback carry. Please, this is, I beg of you, Bobby. <laughs> Throw that crap. Take the page in the playbook. Andrew Beck fullback run. Rip it out and throw it in the garbage can. I freaking hate it. But they get a huge break anyway because on the punt, the refs rule that the Cardinals special team player touched the ball first in a super close call. The call was not overturned. So that looks like a game changer. Sean, you can talk about this in a second if you want to. I just thought they got lucky because I wasn't, I never was sure from any other replay. And it looked like the Texans guy touched the ball. But then, Sean, Robert Woods, the ball goes through his hands, interception. Ugh, ugh. All right, before you just skipped over the interception, to me, one of the unsung hero plays of this game was D'Angelo Ross on that punt coverage. If not for his reaction, to which I called in real time. I thought that ball clearly hit off of his right butt cheek. 
if not for his reaction of stopping, turning, and pointing and saying, get on the ball, get on the ball, on the ball, then one, for the offense, which just went three and out, was going to ask the defense to go right back on the field after, what, like less than a minute. Um, That was huge because you got the break to review it, and wrongfully, (laughs) the referees gave the Texans a break and gave them the ball right back. That was one of those situations, man, where ball don't lie. I'm just gonna say it. I don't care if you agree with it or not. If you're not, <laughs> it's, it's it's the truth. Like there is nothing definitive on that replay that said nah. that ball hit that dude's arm. I'm gonna tell you right now. If D'Angelo Ross doesn't react that way, and he only reacted that way for one or two reasons. One, he was absolutely convinced that that ball hit that dude's arm that he was covering. Or two, he doesn't know the rule. By now, he probably does. At the time, he might not have known the rule that if the ball hits you, it doesn't mean anything, just so long as the ball doesn't hit the other dude. Then you could jump on the ball. You need to jump on the ball. But if it hits you, it doesn't mean a damn thing. <laughs> you you <Right>. can shout <laughs> until you're blue in the face. And so I think that reaction was a huge moment because it gave everybody just a little bit more time. And I think maybe this is a little bit of a different ball game if the defense has to go right back out on that football oh, yeah. field. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I think that's huge. Now, the interception, again, look, ball don't lie, whatever. Things happen. That was that was a really bad one by CJ, man. Um, and You think it was more CJ than Roy should have caught it? You know, I, I, I'm up in the box. Like, I, I haven't seen the replay. I'm looking at it in real time. I just tell you what I, my initial thought was. I was like, God damn, that's a shame. I put it on CJ in the instance. Maybe I'm wrong if I go back and look at it. And I just say it's a damn shame because you're asking that defense after you were just given a break, you know, you were unable to capitalize on, you know, stops earlier in the game, you know, whether it be poor play calls, poor execution, whatever the case may be, the last thing you could do in that instance after being gifted that football and being in fantastic field position is give the ball right back because you know, look at the return. And then, you look at the big chunky plays that Kyler Murray generated already early in this game by himself or with his receivers. They weren't afraid to take a shot today on the road. They ain't got nothing to lose. They were two and eight coming in today. And that's where I, I got maybe the most intimidated, most scared that, you know what? Are we going to see for the third straight week, CJ Stroud have to come down late in the fourth quarter and try to win a football game? Luckily, the defense put their foot down and, um, you know, took care of business themselves. Yeah, you're always taught. You know, when you watch the NFL, if a guy can get two hands on the football, he should have maybe catch and hit his, it hit Woods in the hands. I thought he could have put it better placement, especially considering it was just a straight up throw slant over the middle. He could have let him. It could have been a little bit further down. I mean, it was a it was a throw that typically Stroud makes with a little bit more accuracy. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, to me, it was a, it was a little bit of both. I don't know who to give more of the the blame for, but I think it was a good 50-50 split between those two guys on that one. So the cards get just inside Texans territory, but on fourth and four, Kyler misses an open receiver. So once again, the Texans with a chance to sweep the leg, Roddy Kid reference if you don't know, um, they try to sweep the leg again, but Sean Stroud throws his third pick of the game on the sideline ride to out to Dell. It was the fourth time, fourth time in this game, the Texans were in field goal range and turned the ball over and got nothing. I mean, 
there was no, we barely saw the punter today. The, the Texans easily, if they kicked field goals four times, yeah. they could have had 12 more points. Just field yeah. goal. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, when you get a fourth down stop, you you treat that just like a turnover. You've got to be able to uh, you got to be able to capitalize. And it was just it was discouraging because it was a red zone interception. You know, um, and I think that was the third time this season, at least, that CJ has turned the ball over in the red zone. He had the fumbled uh, snap against the Bengals. You know, early in the game last week, that was in the red zone. Two red zone interceptions today. Um, he's talked about at nauseum protecting the ball in the red zone. That is of utmost importance because they know what they can do. Hell, they went to the red zone four or five times today and were just outside of it a couple of more times. And he knows what they're capable of offensively. And like I see in the comments, this game should have been 42 to 16, but it was 21 to 16. You're absolutely 110% right. It should have been. But, you know, how many times over the course of, you know, to hell with the last three years, because that was garbage organization trying to lose games on purpose anyway. But how many times over the course in Texans history had we seen a team like this, good, solid team, lose games when they turn the ball over three times, twice in the red zone, and aren't able to capitalize on turnovers on downs? How many times have we seen this team lose? The fact that the defense was able to make the plays necessary in the biggest moments um, is huge. And that, that is another element of complimentary football. So it came down to the Texans defense to win the game. And for the first time, it didn't come down to CJ Stroud. So after the cards drive inside the 30, Christian Harris makes a couple of massive plays, big open field tackle on a screen yeah. and a pass deflection. Before I get to the fourth down play, Sean, you want to talk a little bit about Christian Harris for a second? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think it's, we've all seen it. If you watch these games, the one area that Christian Harris has really improved the most is his vision in the backfield. I, I feel like I've been talking about that at nauseum. I just, I love him being on the outside. He plays the sift so well when that back releases on a bubble screen or in the flat, whatever the case may be, nobody plays it better than Christian Harris. And so that was a huge play right there. Um, you know, you, you don't execute it. You can't teach it any better than that. It was perfect execution. And so I think in that sense, Christian Harris, he's going to be asked to do a little bit more here and there and look for a, a very weak, meager, uh, light linebacker room. He needs to step up, and we need to see this fourth-quarter Christian Harris a lot more. He was playing with what a lot of people would probably say a reckless abandon at the end of this game. No, hell no. Go back and watch his film in Alabama. This is the way that he plays the game, period. Like, that's the confidence. When you see what you – when you were never able to diagnose, you know what's coming in the backfield of an offense, that's how you play. You're confident. You're going to make that play a la the opposite Jalen Petrie, who's just, you talk about real reckless abandon and who whiffs a lot, you know, the ultimate home run hitter. Some, one of these times he's going to hit a home run, knock it out of the park. It's going to be a dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. That's going to be one, and he's going to have five other blown tackles in a game. That's just kind of the risk-reward. Christian Harris has the ability, in my opinion, to do this on the regular, be disruptive, consistently make big-time plays and big-time moments, and he made about three of them late in this game. One of them was right there on the play you're talking about, that five-yard TFL. 
Yeah, and this was so big to have Christian Harris and Blake Cashman have these huge games when you didn't have Denzel Perryman for this game. For those two guys to step up was a big deal for the linebacking core. So on the fourth and eight blitz, this is, we know, the last play, the big key play. Will Anderson is not blocked, (laughs) which I found interesting. So Kyler, he's got to unload immediately, Sean. And Steven Nelson, the diving deflection to save the game. That was awesome. That was at least the second time today where I'd saw Will Anderson come unblocked. Like, what the hell are the Arizona Cardinals thinking in either one of those instances, especially in that one where the game is on the line? Like, you talk about, yeah, yeah our quarterback's just going to make something happen, okay? We're, that, that's called just outsmarting yourself. Um, not taking anything away from the play that Steven Nelson made. He's been doing that all season. I kind of expect that from Steven Nelson to be in the right position to make a spectacular play like that. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, but I, I just, I, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around how the hell at least twice today, Will Anderson, you know, is unguarded. I don't think it's a lack of respect to Anderson. You're probably going to hear a little bit of that crap. Um, Look, there's no question teams respect Will Anderson and his disruptive ability. Uh, but that's just the Cardinals outthinking themselves in that instance. And you got to give it to just D'Amico and that defense on that drive. Look, I know they let him drive a little bit, you know, and get into danger territory right there. But at the end of the day, big-time players made big-time plays. And for the third straight fourth down stop in the fourth quarter, I mean, that was just remarkable to me. I, I can't think back to the last time a Texans defense – did something like that in a game that meant anything. And so for that reason, man, that's why I say, like, you know what? That's the mark of a really well-coached, good football team. The irony of this whole thing was today, you know, Robert, you talk about the three interceptions and the fact that the Texans even let it get to this point where, hey, at home, they're letting one of the worst teams in the league drive the football on them with an opportunity to win this game late and not give your quarterback who's stolen games the last couple of weeks an opportunity is the fact Today was the least penalized the Texans had been maybe all season, maybe since the early going in weeks one or two. It could be all season. Three penalties today for like 19 yards, I think it was, for one of the most penalized teams in the entire league, averaging about 60.5 yards per game penalized coming into this game. Um, Today, in that regard, it was incredible to get this type of results. When you can be disciplined, and they can see how aggressive they can be still and how effective they can be. This should be a game the defense takes and puts up on the poster board and says, this is what we're capable of. I'm holding up number one because that's the Texans' rank in penalties. They are number one in a bad category. And I feel like a lot of that's about the defense. A lot of it is about D'Amico's defense. And that's something that they're going to have to clean up as the year goes along if they're good step forward today it was a good step forward that's i I think this is a poster board game for for d'amico and the defense yeah one of the penalties i remember was a will anderson personal foul when he reached out his hand and he caught kyler and they said it was a face mask i don't think he i don't think he yanked the face mask i don't even think he grabbed it i just felt like he scraped against it i mean they could have said hit to the head on the quarterback so maybe that was it but um, yeah, that was that was one of the penalties right there. And there was an early one that was, they, I don't know what, I think it was Steven Nelson. I don't know what he was doing. He was like bumping the tight end of the wide receiver 
like t- like all the way off the line of scrimmage, 10 yards. I think he must have been expecting a run or something like that because he was playing it like he was blocking up against him instead he was trying instead of trying to cover him. So that was that was a real weird play. Um, just going back to circling back to CJ though, uh, Sean. Uh, here you go. Here's what CJ had to say after the game. They asked him if he was going to uh, lose any confidence, you know, about taking shots, you know, with all the picks today. And he yeah. said, quote, Steph Curry, don't ever stop shooting. I'm going to keep letting it fly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, that, to me, it's a better question for Bobby Slowick. But he'd probably say the same, you know, something very similar. Like, you know, CJ, it's a question you have to ask. And, uh, you know, you could think of a few different ways to ask that question. But it was going to be asked, and I knew it was going to be answered like that. And I'm glad you shouldn't be surprised that it was. Um, yeah, he's going to let it keep flying. But to me, it's a better question for Bobby Slowick in some of those instances. Um, you know, like on the third and shorts or the fourth down that they went for, the bet carry, that kind of a thing. You know, the obvious run when you're pitching the ball. To me, Bobby's got to be better than that. There has to be an element of making the damn defense make a decision. And you don't you don't put a shred of doubt in a defense's mind on a pitch. You don't put a shred of doubt uh, in a defense's mind for a linebacker or the edge defender in any instance on just a simple pitch. I mean, that's just saying, look, this is best on best. Not BS because you've allowed the defense to, you know, rear back and tee it up, and they're just going to go full steam ahead. So, to me, Bobby Slowick's going to be asked about it this week at some point in time. If I get the opportunity, I'll ask it. Somebody's got to ask the damn question, but ultimately it doesn't matter what we ask. He's just got to be able to figure it out and come up with better play calls in those instances. Um, And, look, I guarantee you this, because Bobby already addressed it this last week, something similar. Um, talking about CJ's, you know, the, the turnover in the red zone last week and the interception and, you know, does he regret, you know, the two back-to-back third down play calls, the incompletion to Tank Dell on the right sideline against the Bengals last week and CJ's interception in the flat uh, that was intended for, I think it was Dalton Schultz last week. Um, Bobby Sloak was like, hey, one, yeah, worst play call of the year on that interception. But the other one, it's like, hey, that, that's a play that we felt like we could have best moved the chains with. And, hey, who, what, what combination do you trust the most right now for the Houston Texans? I, I'll vote C.J. Stroud to Tank Dell any damn time. And twice on Sunday, if you can dial something up and, you know, get Tank in one-on-one coverage uh, where C.J. can place the ball, I'm going to take it every time. So I, I just think there is a little bit of give and take, and Bobby's going to have to, you know, maybe have a little bit better of a pulse or check himself in some of those instances get the for sure thing if you know you can move the chains and get you a dub in that instance then you got to do it sometimes a 40 yard pass down the field on the third and short ain't the way to go yeah you talk about tank dell i will say this we know cj loves tank we know they have a great relationship we know how great tank is but i think cj sometimes gets in trouble because he believes so much in tank that he makes throws that he shouldn't make the interception last week was the tank. The interception at the end of this game was the tank. They're sideline throws. They're dangerous throws. And you can't, you just can't get so overconfident that you forget that like, you still got to make the right play. You still got to make the right throw. And I don't see him showing that overconfidence with other receivers. Like he just like trust tank to do, to do stuff. I mean, Nico to a degree well, because Nico is, is so big 
and but you could but that's even that's more you can do that more with Nico because Nico is big and if there is a one-on-one matchup in a physical fight he can win that tank you know he's got to be open because you know for tank tank's going to get swallowed up by a defensive you know he's five six he's he's as great as he is in open space he's still a small guy sean yeah yeah i I think it's also dependent upon like how bobby sees that he can use tank versus nico versus uh robert woods versus noah brown you know they're all used maybe in a little bit of different fashion you know right you're going to be able to take maybe some deeper shots with a guy like tank Dell because of his ability to get in and out of routes you know we saw the 40 yard touchdown pass today that quick scramble ability when he realizes a play breaks down i'm telling you that dude looked like a damn squirrel uh he's hanging out around what was it uh, the 20 yard line or something like that and then boom just on a dime just takes off for the end zone like i not a lot of guys can do that and not a lot of guys have the foresight. I think he moved before Stroud even told him to go when the play was breaking down. So I think you're just going to find the ability to to get the ball or to take some better shots, some more riskier shots, I'll put it this way, with a guy like Tank than you would with Nico or Robert Woods or uh, Noah Brown because they're going to be deeper. There might be safety help. Maybe you get a safety um, you know, that bites down a little bit on the underneath but is able to quickly recover and – makes a great play on a great ball from CJ to tank in that instance, that could happen. Um, and it will happen at some point in time, but and more times than not, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with that, with that combo. If you want to take a shot, take a shot, just you got to know when to do it. Houston, Texas, Dave has a couple of comments. Uh, great defense at the end of the game. Absolutely. As we talked about, but he also said next game versus the Jags, great matchup for the division. We're going to preview it midweek Sean like we always do but you know for me the key part of this game is Stroud was bad as far as turnovers and he wasn't the Stroud that we know and love I would rather have gotten this game where Stroud's bad and he got it out of his system and you still won and hopefully that stuff gets cleaned up for next week I I don't see him having two games like this in a row I tell you what I mean um three interceptions, even in the fashion they happen, they don't bother me. Um, And they really shouldn't bother anyone. If you really have been paying attention to what this team, what this offense, what CJ particularly has done to this point. Um, It hadn't been just all talk. Um, It's been him walking the walk as well. When he makes a mistake, you know, they'll talk about it this week. He probably said the exact same thing in the post-game presser today, and I haven't even heard it, but I'm sure that's in the bank. So he'll see this a similar look next week in five weeks and six weeks, whatever the case may be, probably doesn't make that throw probably doesn't make that same mistake. Um, maybe the Texans, you know, ah, you know what, that was our go-to and, you know, we were expecting a certain look and didn't get it. And it was a great play by the defense and, you know, CJ put the ball where it was supposed to be. And it was just a great play. You know, there's going to be those instances, but I trust a guy like CJ to make the right decision, the right read and not make the same mistake again when he sees a similar look. So for that reason, I have the confidence. And to me, it's not about just getting it out of the system. It's just about, Hey, banking it and moving along because that's to me, what has made C.J. Stroud great to this point in time. That's why we talk every single week now about what this guy's doing, why it's so special for him as a rookie this season in the NFL, is because 
He can operate like a veteran, you know, just just how a guy's brain mind works, how he's able to, you know, retain knowledge and apply it on the very next series or maybe in the very next down, never mind the next week. That's what's special about CJ Stroud. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to close with um, somebody I saw post something about, well, there goes CJ's chance at an MVP this year with the game today. And let me just point out to you, CJ had three interceptions today. Patrick Mahomes had five against the Broncos earlier this year, and he's still very much in the MVP race. Look, if CJ Stroud, and I'm going to be very clear about this. If CJ Stroud gets the Texans to the playoffs as a rookie quarterback, taking the second to last place team in the NFL last year, Second to last place team in the NFL last year. If he takes the Texans to the playoffs with an offensive line that's lost five guys for the season, and if and if Juice Scruggs doesn't come back, it'll be six guys for the season. With a running game for the first half of the season that was terrible, the one of the worst in the NFL with the defense that's not exactly a juggernaut. They're okay, but they're nothing, you know, we're not you know, talking about the Pittsburgh steel curtain here defensively. If he does that, if he just gets the Texans into the playoffs, I mean, he's your MVP. I mean, I'm, you know, I love you, Lamar Jackson, but you got to, you, you've been around for a while. You've got a hell of a supporting cast. You got, you, you didn't, your team didn't jump from second worst in the NFL to the playoffs. So that's, that's, a, that's my last part. Yeah, I mean, shot. maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, unless somebody else like, you know, Mahomes or whoever goes on like an incredible run and puts up some sick numbers and the Chiefs continue to do what they've been doing, you know, for the last five, six years, whatever it is. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's going to be the first time since, uh, <laughs> you know, Jim Brown in 1953 or whatever the hell it was against MVP as a rookie. Uh, but hell, MVP or not, doesn't make a damn bit of difference if we're talking uh, we're we're five, six weeks ahead of schedule where I already thought the Texans would be in terms of being a team in the hunt. And this is without even knowing CJ Stroud's going to look like an all time rookie, um, you know, this season. I just, I just thought that's where the roster was, where from a talent standpoint, coaching standpoint, where they were going to be, you know, I would not be surprised. I said it numerous times, you know, uh, week 14, 15 rolls around. Texans going to be on that right side of the column in the hunt. It just so happened they started off there week nine, and it's been a hell of a lot of fun the last couple of weeks talking about this team. And uh, next week at home, second straight home game against the Jaguars now, um, you're talking about playing for first place within the AFC South. That game is going to be massive. The stadiums should be rocking. It was pretty damn good today, probably about as loud as I've heard this stadium in a long time, at least a good solid four years. So. Uh, a lot of good things ahead, man, for the Texans. Uh, opportunity to control their own destiny, to be quite honest with you. Just knock on wood that CJ, you know, made it as healthy as possible after this game today. Doesn't pop up on the injury report at any time this uh, this week, and none of the other key figures do either. And then if they're able to stay healthy, man, sky's the limit for them this year, to be honest with you, uh, within this division. The Houston Texans are 6-4. and four. 10 games into the season, playing for first place next week against Jacksonville. They win 21 to 16. 
They are still the story and the talk of the NFL. The Houston Texans get on the bandwagon. If you're not there yet, go tell your friends about the Texans. Go tell your friends about us. Uh, We have a show midweek where we'll go through what's going on with the Texans and look at uh, what's going to happen in the Jacksonville game. We'll definitely preview. Hopefully we'll have a guest as well Um, and keep talking Rockets and Astros and everything going on in Houston sports too. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks to Sean for uh, staying with us out at the stadium and doing the post game show. He does a fantastic job. Go on the six Ten website, read his stuff. Uh, some great stuff there all the time. We don't talk about it enough, but uh, definitely uh, worth a listen to worth a watch. Check him out on Twitter. He'll, he'll post that stuff up, but go to the sports uh, radio six Ten website for sure. And thanks everybody for joining us. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.